For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Proverbs says, He who flatters a person is setting a trap for them. And that is exactly what's happening here in 2 Kings chapter 20. The conniving king of Babylon wants to get some inside information from the king Hezekiah so he can one day conquer the region. He sends a delegation to come and butter him up with gifts and compliments. Unfortunately, his scheme pays off. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Foolishness of Flattery. All righty, you ready to start? All right, why don't you make your way to 2 Kings chapter 20. We left a couple paragraphs untalked about, so we're going to go back there and finish up King Hezekiah's life tonight. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we consider the life of King Hezekiah once again, we pray, Father, that we would learn from his life valuable lessons about depending on you, being humble, and not being proud. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a notorious anarchist was sentenced to be hanged in Russia back in 1825, Uh, For his part, in an unsuccessful uprising against the Tsar, Tsar Nicholas I. But as the execution was underway, the trapdoor opened, right? And he went swinging, but the rope broke. And this rebel fell to the ground. He was battered and bruised, but alive. Now, usually an accident like that, even to this day, uh, results in a pardon. But the guy got up. And he said in a loud voice, in Russia, they can't do anything right. They don't even know how to make a strong rope. (laughs) So the officer went to the czar to confirm the pardon. But the officer also told him about the accident and what this guy had said. He said, we can't even make a proper rope. Well, said the czar, guess what? Let's prove to him otherwise. So the pardon was denied, and off to the gallows he went one more time with a stronger rope. Now, uh, sometimes, lesson here, sometimes you just need to keep quiet, amen? (laughs) I think that's the polite way to say it. Talking too much, not showing self-control can lead to disaster, just like the book of Proverbs says. You know, I like to read a chapter of the Proverbs. I've been doing that since I was a young man. Um, There are 31 chapters of them, so you can pick the day uh, of the month and read that chapter. And uh, one of them, chapter 10 and verse 8, is a chattering fool comes to ruin. And uh, I mean, just where there are many words, there's going to be a problem. Now, Sadly, here in chapter 20, good King Hezekiah is a faithful guy, but he has some foolish episodes, and tonight we're going to see yet another one, and this one will bring ruin because he lets his mouth run, 
and his self-control go. And as a result, he puts the nation, not only him and his family, in, uh, but the nation as well in harm's way. Okay, verse 12 and 13. I have that for you on the screens as well. At that time, Merodach, Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the final oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Well, let's pause there. Note takers, you can uh, write down number one, flattery and pride. Now, we begin with this. The king of Babylon wants something from the king of Judah. Now, and sadly, it's more than just wanting to congratulate him that he has recovered from a lethal and terminal illness. Uh, but he's going to use flattery to get what he wants. And sadly, he does. So your text says, at that time. Well, what time? The events of verses 1 through 11, and we talked about that last time, when King Hezekiah was on his deathbed and the Lord was teaching him not to be so proud. And this guy just has a besetting sin. A besetting sin is one that just kind of hangs out with you, and it just kind of, it's your special darling sin that has you by the scruff of the throat and won't let go. Well, his happens to be, he doesn't handle being the king very well. And because it goes to his head, you know, and so he's got a problem with that. So the Lord's always bringing loving discipline his way to help him. Whenever the Lord disciplines somebody who knows him and Hezekiah knows him, it's out of love. Hebrews chapter 12 says, uh, don't lose heart when the Lord disciplines you because every child he receives, uh, he disciplines in love. It says if, if you didn't belong to him, he wouldn't be concerned he wouldn't be disciplining you so so he's always seeming to have to do that with king hezekiah so what what verses 1 through 11 revealed was that he had this illness but he responded he humbled his heart and the lord said you know what go tell this man he's got 15 more years to live and so what really was the big uh, tada moment of the of those verses was that he asked for a miraculous sign to reassure his heart. And it says in the scriptures that the, he, uh, the, the sun, the shadow of the sun went backwards 10 degrees. Now, according to 2 Chronicles 32, apparently the Babylonians, 536 miles from Jerusalem, modern day Baghdad, Iraq is Babylon, uh, actually either noticed the miracle or heard about it. But commentators say that they noticed the miracle, and that prompted the initial, hey, what's going on in Judah and in the land of Israel? They seem to be withstanding all their enemies. Let's go check them out because they had their eyes on uh, world domination. And so the miraculous healing and the supernatural sign uh, really get Babylon's attention, uh, but their motivation is far from pure. So let's talk about this for a moment. 
the purpose of flattery, because that's exactly what they're doing, because we find out later that they, they really don't care too much about the king's uh, recovery. They've got their sights on how they're going to be able to get in and overthrow them one day. But they come in under the guise of, hey, we heard you're sick, and we heard God did this miracle, and we just want to bring you letters that say congratulations and a gift and all these accolades. And so uh, they're using flattery to do that. So flattery, when you can't get what you want by being upfront and honest, and you need to conceal your true motives, then you would resort to this uh, hideous uh, form of flattery. So Babylon. Babylon is the number two superpower. Uh, they are actually superpower wannabes. Assyria is controlling uh, something like 500,000 square miles of territory. So uh, Babylon is going to ultimately overtake them. But first of all, they want to align themselves with somebody who's been resisting, and that would be the region of Judah. Now, what they do is they send an entourage, uh, and this is all deceptive, royal letters expressing admiration and, oh, we're so happy that you recovered, and expensive gifts, and uh, really they're offering the king of Judah, who's a nobody. I mean, uh, Judah is, is the size of, you know, northern California uh, or, or less. Israel's not, not bigger than New Jersey, and, and here you've got the, these massive superpower guys who come to talk to this nobody. And so he gets intoxicated by, wow, they've extended to me the right hand of fellowship of the big nations in the world. And so they start by doing that, by um, flattering. And so compliments and a feigned interest and exaggerated responses to everything they see. There. So Proverbs again, chapter 29, verse 5. Whoever flatters someone is spreading a net for their feet. In other words, when somebody is flattering somebody, they, they're, they're, they're setting a trap for that person because they want something from that person that they just can't come out and say. Uh, and so it's really a trap, even though uh, it comes off as sweet. They want your favor. They, they want access to something like in this case, uh, they want your stuff or they want your influence. But here's what the Babylonians want. Number one, as I've been saying, the Babylonians want to uh, have to obligate Judah to uh, align themselves with them against the Assyrians. That's number one. And number two would be after that, uh, we'll find out what the secret to Judah's strength is and, and we'll steamroll right over them. Now, the truism that flattery will get you nowhere only works when the, when the flattery <laughs> catches on. And in this case, he does not. Now, why? Because he's, he's, he's having a me moment. Uh, it sounds like he's having a me year right now, but uh, he, he does love the Lord. But you know what's encouraging about this guy is just that he's a lot like you and I. He's not perfect. He loves the Lord. He's broken. He has some problems. But um, yeah. So verse 13, Hezekiah falls hook, line, and sinker. Uh, they say, you demand. 
right? And he goes, yeah, I am. <laughs> and uh, you're something else. You know, you built some kind of kingdom. Yes, I did. Wow, news travels fast out there, huh? Let me show you boys how true it is. And so he's going to say, he's going to show them, listen, I can live up to your standards. You're not just playing around with some little uh, Jewish boys over here that don't know what they're doing. I mean, you want to check, check me out? Check me out, okay? Like somebody today would say, hey, check out my car, or check out my house, or check out my houses, or check out, you know, whatever, right? Um, the list goes on. And I always know when I'm getting close to home when you guys get really quiet. And I, I know you're not talking, but there's a quiet upon a quiet. And, and I just know, like, okay. So what does he do? Uh, you know, he pulls out the bank statements, shows the balances and all the passcodes, you know. And, and what does he do? He's, he's, he's showing them, here's where we keep the food reserves. Here's our treasury. And here's our military equipment and our weapons arsenals. And, you know, and, and I can imagine the conversation. The conversations were like, this is where we get our water. And uh, this is how we win our battles. And boy, this is, if somebody did so-and-so, that would really put us in a hurt logger, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? And they're all looking at each other like, is this guy crazy? Is he for real? You know, you, you know, hey, you missed something. Let me pull out this drawer and show you what's in there, you know? Not very, why? Because he's so, listen, flattery only works when you're insecure and you just need to hear that like a drug. You know, oh, wow, look at, so they're feeding his big ego with appropriate oohs and ahs at the right place. And so he's just, you know, just, he can't figure it out. He cannot figure it out. When you're all about you, you can't figure out what's going on right there because you're so about you. You can't see what they're doing. And they're just robbing you blind right there with their clipboards going, uh-huh, and how much is in that account? And the passcode was uh, all caps or, you know, whatever. <laughs> all right. So anyway, we go on. Now, as, as for pride before we move on, you know, anything that turns Lucifer into the devil ought to be avoided at all costs. Amen? <laughs> right? So here's what Warren Wiersbe said about King Hezekiah's pride, proudful moment. Pride is one of Satan's chief weapons in his battle against God's people. He himself committed that sin when he rebelled, wanting the glory only God deserves. Pride gives us a feeling of false security, and this leads us into sin and defeat. William Barclay said, Pride is the ground in which all other sins grow, the father of all sins. So, Let's continue with verses 14 through 18. Then Isaiah the prophet, okay, so the guys leave with all the passcodes. <laughs> then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah, their friends, and asked, uh, what did those guys say and where did they come from? Uh, from a distant land. That's telling right there. Hezekiah replies, they came from Babylon. Okay. The prophet asked, uh, what did they see in your palace? Oh, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. In fact, there's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. 
Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything, everything, everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off by them. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your grandkids, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away and they will become servants in the palace of the king of Babylon. So number two would be foolishness and the prophet's rebuke. So the deceitful delegation departs and uh, while Hezekiah is basking in the afterglow of, wow, I'm a big boy now and feeling so important, dazzled by his own self-importance, God sends his man, Isaiah, who really, I mean, those prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those guys could so care less about who you are, you know, or how much money you make, or if you're a king or a poor person, they just don't care because the fear of God is greater than the fear of men. And uh, men have this thing about wanting to impress other people, human beings. But when the Holy Spirit really is full in your heart and life, you want to please God more than impress anybody else, right? The applause of heaven, one. If I got one applause and it's from heaven, then I don't care if I'm booed by the entire world. Amen? And that was a better amen than that. Come on. If I get God to, to be a smile on God's face is, is better than a frown on everybody else's. Amen? Oh, there we go. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't rile you up too much. So God sends his man. And in verse 14, it's time for some spiritual smelling salts uh, to be delivered to this king who's just, as I said, all about uh, himself. Now, pride comes before the fall, right? I mean, Proverbs again, verse, uh, chapter 16 and verse 18. So keep that in mind. So here are the questions, and I love the questions, and the questions are important. Number one, uh, what did those guys say? Uh, essentially, what did they want? And number two, where'd they come from? Or essentially, who were they, right? Now, uh, the purpose of the questions. God just normally doesn't come and just openly just rebuke you. He wants us to learn. He wants us, and learning happens when you come to the, 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 the knowledge of what just went down, where you, where you erred. When you come to that, when he, uh, uh, he says, Adam, where are you? After he sinned, he's hiding, right? Trust me, God really did not know where Adam was. He's asking a question. I want you to think this through. What just happened? I want you to be able to articulate it and give it back to me and tell me. I, 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 it's about redemptive. It's not about your bad. Boom. You know, it's about, can we learn from this? So let's ask him, Isaiah, ask him a couple questions. Let's see if he's put connected the dots yet, you know? But uh, that hasn't happened yet. And so um, he says, 
He's really saying, can you figure this out yourself? I mean, is there an ounce of discernment in that heart of yours? I mean, has conscience or the Holy Spirit made any inroads? And apparently not. So uh, uh, first of all, of question number one, he ignores it. He ignores question one. And why does he do that? I think it's very telling. And I, I, I like to psychoanalyze these guys because it's so easy from my desk, you know, out of the way and not in the situation. And it's a lot easier. You know what I'm saying? So, so question number one is ignored. Now, why? Because if he had to say it out loud, he would know what he did was stupid. And so, in other words, here's the answer. Uh, well, uh, what did they have to say? Well, uh, here's the truth. Uh, they were super impressed with me, so overjoyed that I recovered. So they traveled 536 miles over desert wilderness just to let me know how much they care about me. <laughs> and Isaiah and Ham would look, and there's something about having to, to say it out loud to uh, somebody who's godly and somebody who's not in the whirlwind of your emotions, right? Where you have to say it. Like, so what was that all about? Well, they came from Babylon to just praise me and to, to say, wow, you're the man. Does that sound right to you? That's what Isaiah would go, really? Like, are you, you kidding me? So, uh, yeah. So question number two, where did they come from? You'll notice he's slow on the uptake. A distant land. Yeah, we don't want to say it right out loud because he knows. First of all, listen, we know way more than we ever let on to knowing, especially when we do the wrong thing. We're always like, duh, what's that? I didn't know, but you did know. <laughs> Amen? I'm sorry. I love you. I'm not saying you actually just did that. Uh, anyway, uh, slow on the uptake. So he says, from a distant land, and I know what happened there. He goes, from a distant land, and Isaiah goes, and he goes, from Babylon. <laughs> Oh, the city that the Bible never has one good word to say? Oh, oh, that Babylon? Oh, okay, which he well knows. So uh, he would have had to answer the question this way if he was going to say, I've learned what just happened, or I see why you're here. I already know why you're here, and can I just repent before I hear the judgment? He would have had to say, uh, well, it was the aggressive uh, pagan enemies of God who came to butter me up with flattery to gain a military advantage over us. Well, is he going to say that? He should have said that. And then he should have said, would you pray with me? And I just got to turn my heart. I just had a me moment again. And, and I just want to get right with the Lord. And just, you know, you would have been reading something better after that, Right? We have such the power and capacity when God is dealing with us, if we just respond and do the right thing, to change the course of a bad situation and make it come around. We have that ability. It's called free will. It's called wisdom. And it's called dying to self and eating humble pie, which nobody wants to order because it's not very delicious. So time to hear some, uh, well, also question number three. Question number three, exactly what did you reveal to them? So after he has to understand, I've really blown it here. 
I've given them the passcodes. They buttered me up. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And then he says, what's the damage? That's the third question. And then he says, uh, he says essentially he's saying, did it work? And I, Isaiah has to say, uh, Hezekiah has to say, yep, it did. What did you show them? Every last thing. Okay, so time to hear the not-so-pretty truth. And here comes the rebuke, because he made a big, giant mistake. Uh, but what could have he done differently? I, start, I like to think like that when I read a Bible story. Uh, narrative, an account. What, what could have he done differently? Number one, he could have prayed. How often do, do, does a royal delegation from Babylon, a, a superpower, come to Judah with gifts and all kinds of accolades and what, what's happening here? Lord, just to take a second and say, you know, you know, even while they're here, to take some time, even if they're spending the night, to go and, and reflect and maybe open a scroll and read a psalm and just quiet your heart and let God speak. Jeremiah 33.3 says, call to me, I will answer and tell you things you're unaware of. I love that one. You can't possibly know things about the future and about how if you do this, this will happen. But if you call to me, I can tell you things that are, isn't on your radar scope. And, 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 and that could have happened for him. Number two, he didn't get godly counsel. He could have said, hey, I say, hey, hey. He could have sent for somebody to get Isaiah. Isaiah, come and talk to me. Man, this is Babylon. It's like the Babylon from the Psalms. The Babylon that the Psalms talk about, the bad boys are here. Hey, what do you, what do you think? But all he can see is the treasures of the, and, and the accolades and the compliments. He can't think. He can't think clearly. That's when the enemy strikes. He gets us off our, our footing. And when you're kind of dazed and confused and the hormones are flying around and you're just, you know, you're just uh, coveting or you're, you're in a bad space, that's when he moves in. And what could get you out of the bad space is if you just seek the Lord, open the book. It, there's something that's very um, healing when we open the book that gets us, pops that delusional place that we can get into as fallen human beings. And so uh, he doesn't call for Isaiah. He doesn't say, hey, any advice, you know, because pride prevents getting help because you'd have to acknowledge that somebody might know or, or see something that you don't. Now, and what's worse for me is that he doesn't ask Isaiah into the situation because he knows down deep what Isaiah's going to say. And that would ruin everything. All the compliments would have to be ignored. He'd have to give the gifts back. He, he'd have to realize, oh, there are, this is all a joke. And the joke's on me. So I don't want to hear that. So I'm not going to go to godly counsel because I want to talk to people who are going to tell me what I really want to hear. And as I'm sorry to say, as a pastor, I see that happen all the time. Um, Hezekiah knows about Babylon. King David writes, Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Babylon from Genesis chapter 10. 
is, is a bad place. So he knows, he knows, and he knows Isaiah. Isaiah's been writing in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 13, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 13, verse 19. He, he knows. That's why people don't go to pastors and say, hey, you know what? I'm engaged. I'm going to be engaged. And our housing situation is kind of up in the air right now. Would it be okay if I kind of moved in together with my girlfriend? That Pastors find out about, or godly people, find out about their friends with those kind of issues after the fact, because they don't go to godly counsel. They go to their BFFs who are going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. So guard your own heart from going to people, hey, what do you think about this? But you pick the person who you knew wouldn't give you the godly counsel that you don't want to listen to anyway. Amen? Amen. All right, you're getting quiet again, that quiet thing. (laughs) You know, <laughs> I met this cute guy. He's not a Christian, but he's so open. Uh-huh. Don't start me. <laughs> you have already got your confirmation from all everywhere you know who would say, well, you know, it worked for this person. And oh, yeah, you know, but you're not going to go into somebody you know is like a Bible person because you know what they're going to tell you. They're going to say, ah, that's in the face of scripture principle. That's a no-no. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Come on, he he knows. (laughs) He knows. Now, hey, in Romans chapter 8, and I didn't know what people meant by this when I first became a Christian, they said, oh, I'm walking in the flesh. I'm in the flesh right now. I had no idea what that meant as a new Christian. In the flesh means, Romans chapter eight, you have a choice to live as a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes in. You could live by the Spirit or you could live according to your sinful nature. You do, the sinful nature survives conversion. So you have an option. So sometimes you're having a me moment and you can see during a day, you're walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit and bam, you know, something happens and you're now, you're in the flesh. I don't think it goes like this, like crazy every day, but you can have seasons when you're in the flesh. This guy's in the flesh. You have a choice. You can get out of the flesh and into the spirit. Romans chapter eight, if you're curious about that. Uh, so he, he could have sought godly counsel. The second option he could have done, and we're almost done because there's just a little paragraph left, but the second option available to Hezekiah uh, was so nicely uh, put down into writing. Let me read the quote. Uh, Christopher Knapp, uh, early 1900s, Presbyterian pastor, scholar. He said, now, why didn't Hezekiah show these heathen men, God's glorious temple, which speaks of God's glory in so many ways. There he could have expounded upon the meaning of the bronze altar, the sacrifices offered, and 
And who could say the kind of impact those stories of God's power and glory and truth could have affected on the souls of these idolaters? But no, who cares if somebody is going to heaven and hell when it's all about me? If I'm having a me moment, I don't care who's standing in front of me, their condition of their soul. All I care is about their impression of me. And if that's all I care about, I will never be used, useful to God for anything. Because all God's doing 24-7 is trying to work with me instead of using me. And there are Christians like that. That most of the time in their lives is spent trying to train them and keep them from destroying themselves and, and other various activities. So he's hard to work with right now. So let's finish up. There's 17 and 18. Uh, we don't need to change the slide yet, but uh, the rebuke that reveals the sad consequences. So he says, the time will surely come. Everything you're so proud of, everything that you think makes you the man, is going to be carried off, and it's going to be for them to enjoy. You know, there's, stuff is neutral. But when we put more value than we ought in stuff, then instead of it being an, ass, an asset to us, it becomes a liability. So money, bank accounts, cars, watches, who cares? None of that, they, it doesn't have any moral significance. They're neutral. But what we do in our hearts, what we do in our hearts, when we make that the definition of who we are and how we want people to think about us, that's when it becomes a problem. Amen? Amen. All right, so, so everything he's proud of is going to be shipped off. And, and sad to say, they're not going to stop with the material goods and the treasures. Uh, they want the people too, and some of his uh, descendants who have his DNA are going to have to be taken away. And it's 100 years away from that happening, but those words come true, and the Babylonians come in, and they destroy the place, and Judah is taken away, and all the stuff, just like Isaiah said. Um, so well, here's a quote about this. Now, obviously, and I love this quote, listen, obviously this judgment that comes upon Judah a hundred years from the time Isaiah prophesied is not the sole responsibility of the king's pride and the missteps of those few days together. The nation itself continues in rebellious idolatry and sinful practices and future kings act wickedly, continuing to provoke the Lord and test his patience. This information that Isaiah brings is to humble Hezekiah and let him realize the futility and foolishness of trusting in things, trying to impress people rather than relying on God and pleasing him first. So in some, Hezekiah, it uh, wasn't everything it seemed to be. They weren't really impressed. You let them snooker you into giving them the advantage. And in the end, uh, because Israel and Judah won't learn the lessons, all will be uh, lost I read a sermon, well, I read his outline of this section online, and he entitled, he, he had three points, and his three points were, uh, the title of his sermon was Three Traps, and his three points were 
I deserve this, check me out, and it's all about me. Those are your three traps to say, hey, I deserve this. Number two, to say, check me out. Number three, it's all about me. Those were his three points. I thought about stealing them, but no. No, I actually didn't because it didn't really make sense to me, but uh, I, I like what he said there. I thought that was cool. 19 through 21. The word of the Lord, you have spoken, here's his response, is good. I accept it, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and insecurity in my lifetime? So, yeah, you should have guessed there. I'm glad you did. As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Ju- kings of Judah? Hezekiah rested with his fathers. He died, and he had a full-on beautiful memorial service, as Chronicles tells us about. And Manasseh, the, the most wicked king that Israel ever had, bar none. This is a, a good, basically a good man who came from a wicked father. This Hezekiah comes from a wicked father, so he did pretty good having a wicked father. And now he's going to have a wicked son. So he's kind of like the sandwiched in between. But he's, uh, sadly, now he's going to have this wicked son who's going to grab the throne when he's 12. That's half of his problem. Amen? (laughs) Can you imagine a middle schooler on a throne? (laughs) Help us all. That's all I have to say. Of course, they don't get to rule and reign at 12. They get to have advisors. But they do get to sit on the throne, and order people around. Now, of course, the saddest verse in the whole text, where you oohed and awed, right? Who cares if this comes in 100 years? Few. Oh, this is good. He says this is good. Hey, good news. Thank you. Because he's thinking to himself, well, I've already got other promises. I've got promises of 15 years, and I've got promises that he's going to save the city, so I know it's not going to happen in my lifetime, question mark. But he's pretty sure. But he's happy about it. Why? That guy, that sermon, his third point was, it's all about me. It's all about me. That's just terrible. Now, uh, we finish with words of achievement. And why do we do that? Because the summary statements about Hezekiah's life, and we're done with Hezekiah now. We've had four chapters of him. And interestingly, even though we we found out in the beginning he's faithful, dedicated, God gives him two thumbs up, basically. But then we learn from several of his mistakes, and it makes him look like he's a bad guy. But But it's true of good guys and good women of God. We we have problems. We have spiritual wipeouts. We have me moments and me seasons, and we walk in the flesh for seasons, unfortunately, but it's true. But a righteous person, the Bible says, falls seven times but gets up. That's a beautiful proverb. I hope I wrote it down somewhere. It's in the Proverbs. 
Chapter 24, verse 16. A righteous man falls seven times, but gets up. And we've talked about the seven times before. He's not saying we, we, a righteous person doesn't fall eight times, but only seven times. Seven is the no, number of complete. Uh, it means he's perpetually kind of falling his way toward heaven. I mean, we got three steps forward, two steps back kind of thing. But we keep getting up and taking the steps forward. That's what makes us different, right? And so what I just like that he ends on a, on a positive note. But that's the cool thing. Hezekiah was dedicated. The bent of his life was to the Lord saying, this guy loves me. He's saved by grace. They were always saved by grace through faith. Abraham, Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as putting him right with God. So even Abraham was saved by faith. So this guy's saved by faith. God says, I, I know he loves me, but let's learn from some of his problems. I would rather learn through his problems than my own. Amen? <laughs> so when I'm reading somebody's problems, I'm just really drinking that in because I would, I hate to say it, but... Better him than me as far as the spank down comes. Amen? Now, I want to show you a picture of Hezekiah's tunnel because it talks about it. Do you know what? Everything the Bible talks about is actually there because the Bible is true. You can walk down there, and we did. I've been down Hezekiah's tunnel twice. And just so you know, because you're the Wednesday night crowd and you always know stuff before Sunday, right? <laughs> well, we're going again next May. We're going to go. So you guys know before everybody else. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Everybody's going to know Sunday, I, I'm pretty sure. Pastor Jim, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. I, ha I had to. So it's really cool. Well, let me show you a map of the tunnel. And Chronicles gives a little bit more information. Listen, folks, this was 800 years before Christ. And you can verify it. It's exactly where it says it's where it is. And you can go through it. It's an amazing journey through there. And if you have claustrophobia, you will not be enjoying yourself. Because there are some very tight and narrow places where it's just hewn rock, and, and you walk through there, and Orthodox Jews who consider this quite the, the, the holy place, they're in there with their uh, Torahs and their uh, paraphernalia, and they're doing their thing in those tunnels, and you have to go around them. It's very, it's just an amazing place, but you know, I just like knowing that when, when there's a date or a title of a a country, or a war. All of those things are verified through secular history, archaeology. All of these things are there. Now, there are certain books and religions where you cannot find the, the place that they're talking about. And I won't use anybody's names, but there are initials involved, L-L-D-S. But, yeah. Right. You can't find any of those places. I ask them all the time, the guys on bikes. Where are those places? 
Oh, well, you know, we can't find them. Why can't you find them? I'll tell you why you can't find them. (laughs) You can find Hezekiah's tunnel because it's there. And it's the Bible's true. Amen. So here are the four lessons or the five lessons, one-liners, takeaways from tonight's sermon for me. And I share them with you. Number one, flattery is an attempt to trap and deceive. So use discernment. Let humility and wisdom guard your heart. Number two, don't believe your own press, which means don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment. That's a quote from Romans chapter 12, verse three. Number three, Remember the three traps. I deserve this. Check me out. It's all about me. Number four, when you love and trust material goods, achievements, and so forth more than God, they cease being assets and they become grave liabilities. We talked about that. Number five, finally, God still calls Hezekiah a faithful man and doesn't discount his devotion or his achievements, because the bent of his life was to love and serve God. We praise God for his patience and grace and long-suffering with all of us. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this man, Hezekiah. He even teaches us, Lord, in his stumbling. Lord, we thank you for his life, that he knows you, that we'll meet him someday when we see you face to face. And we're so thankful for that guarantee that whoever is born of God will overcome the world. And uh, we just love you, Lord, that you are uh, so faithful to us when we can be so faithless to you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.